Thank you for tuning into this sermon from New Life Student Ministries. Our goal is to inspire, equip, and support our students and families with biblically rich and God-centered teaching. These messages are meant to be supplemental and not substitutional for our weekly gathering. We hope this sermon is a blessing to you and your spiritual walk. All right, all right, all right. Good evening. We're going to work on this all summer. Good evening. Good job. Hey, we have, uh, looks like, extra people this evening. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to come sit right up here. Come sit right up here. Right up here. No, not, 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 not just the people who don't have a seat. Just the people who don't have a seat. Just the people who don't have a seat. Sit up here. Come on. I promise I won't bite. The people behind you won't bite either. Sit close. We're going to try to keep this relatively quick since we're running a little bit behind this evening. Hey, if you are a new sixth grader, like you just got into sixth grade, I want you to stand up real quick. Stand up real quick. Come on. You are so, so welcome here. Welcome to junior high and high school where things get just a little bit out of hand. You can take a seat. You can take a seat. Um, this will be the last night we combine in sixth grade. If you're here for the first time next week, we have a brand new staff member joining us. He's going to be our new junior high pastor. He'll be here next week. His name is Mateo Mendoza. Yeah. If you're wondering, like, what is this guy like? He is younger than me. He is bigger than me. He is better looking than me. And he preaches better than me. So you get everything better than high school. It's that awesome. So he will be here this Sunday for junior high small groups. And he will be here next Wednesday to preach to you at junior high. So this will be the last week we are combined. While we are combined, junior high, I need you to look at me. This is sacred space. Everyone go sacred space. Do the hands like this, sacred space. Okay, so this is what I'm asking of you. I'm asking for a level of maturity, all right, that is expected of you if you were to go see the Queen of England, okay? I want you to treat me like I'm the Queen of England, all right? All right, so be respectful, control your bodies, relax. It'll, we'll, we'll be over soon, sound good? All right, now here's the thing. I have been out of this pulpit for over two months. I have not preached a message in a couple months. This is the longest I have gone without preaching a sermon in seven years. In seven years. Now, if I have not had a chance to meet you and you're like, where has this guy been? I had the privilege of welcoming my daughter, Haven Grace Shepherd, three and a half weeks ago. I got a picture of my little girl right here. She's got the tan skin of her father and the good looks of her mother. And she poops 17 times a day. She is the most beautiful thing I have ever seen. I could spend the rest of this evening just like this. And I would be fully content. She is a treasure, an absolute treasure. I can't wait for you guys to meet her. She'll probably be around in the next couple of weeks or so, but she's chilling out with mom tonight. I got one more photo. Let's put one more photo up. She's with mom right here. Mom's holding her. I mean, right? My goodness. Fellas, this is what you call like just absolutely scoring, like the greatest thing ever. Greatest thing ever. All right, enough looking at my child. Mark chapter three, if you have your Bibles, I want you to open them up to Mark chapter three. We're in a series entitled God of Miracles. Everyone say God of Miracles. 
God of miracles, as we were praying for this summer, what do we want to lean into for five, six weeks as we lead up to the Desperation Conference? By the way, who's coming to Desperation Conference? Yeah, it's going to be exciting. If you don't know what that is, there's a little booth in the back after service. We can talk to you later. But as we were talking about, like, what do we want to lean into for six weeks as we enter into the summer? And I just got this sense. The team got this sense, like, you know what, like, we need, we need to talk about how our God can do the impossible, how our God intervenes, how our God has the ability to take a circumstance, to take a situation, to take an illness, whatever it's going to be, and flip it on its head. And so we're going to walk through five miracles from the book of Mark this summer. And this is what I want you to notice about the book of Mark. This is the earliest gospel that was recorded of the four gospels, the first of the synoptic gospels. And it's really interesting what Mark is trying to do in this gospel. It's the shortest of the four accounts. But what the question that I wanna ask here is like, what audience is he getting after? Like, who is he writing to? This is really, really important because when you know somebody's audience, you can understand the way that they're catering their message. And as you kind of read through his letter, letter, it becomes very, very clear that he was writing to a Gentile audience. And what I mean by a Gentile audience is the people that he was writing to weren't Jews. He was in Rome. He wanted to write to the Romans. And what this is, what's important about this is the people who are reading this don't really have a preconceived understanding of the history of Israel. They don't really have the Jewish mindset. They don't really have an understanding of what the law is. They don't really have a, a clear history of what God did with Israel and delivering them out of Egypt and, and taking care of them in the wilderness and delivering them into the promised land. And they don't have no understanding of like, what does it mean that there's a Messiah? Like there was one promise to come and save all of humanity. There's no context. And so in, as opposed to Luke, as opposed to Matthew, as opposed to John, what he's getting after here is he's, he's, he's kind of wanting to go after like that outcast, that person who would have like no perception, no understanding about like what was being talked about. Have you ever brought like a friend to church who doesn't come to church? Or have you ever been that person who like comes to church and you're like, my family doesn't go to church. I didn't grow up in church. Like you, you, you could be that person tonight and you showed up and you're like, what in the Lord's name is going on? People are hopping on each other's backs. The leader's jeans are really, really tight. Like, like what, we're singing for like 35 minutes about like this God, like fill me up. God set a fire in my, you're like going, don't set me on fire. Like that's so, that's so bizarre. You're like, what is going on? I want you to, I want you to think like this, like Mark, as he's writing this gospel, is thinking about somebody like that. Somebody who, who would have just like no understanding about like what's taking place in the synagogue. And so his approach, his approach to, to show this audience, his approach to show the world that Jesus is the son of God, that like this Jesus is fully God. He's fully man. Like this Jesus came to save you and me. His approach is not to go after how this guy like fulfilled the law. His approach is to show and reveal to them like how awe and wonderful and powerful this Jesus is. And so this is why we have like account after account after account of him giving miracle after miracle after miracle after a miracle. This would have caught a Gentile's audience attention. Now, wait a minute. You're meaning to tell me that like four friends lowered a paralyzed man from the neck down to Jesus in the middle of a house. 
He forgave his sins. And he said, grab your bed, stand up and walk. And the man did. Like there's something about this. And this is why this is really important because if the gospel for us does not begin with awe and wonder, then it's arguably not a gospel at all. Are you with me? If it doesn't start with, oh wow. Like look at who this God is. Look at what this God is doing. If your gospel is beginning with, yeah, this is just kind of like what we do. This is kind of the Christian thing. It's kind of like the right thing to do because they kind of seem to like not hurt people. That's not where the gospel begins. That's where legalism begins. Are you with me? And so when we read this story, I want you to have that in mind. Like, like this is his audience. This is what Mark is going after. He's trying to show and reveal this man, Jesus, is the son of God. With that being said, Mark 3 Starting in verse one, it says this. And again, he, he being Jesus, entered the synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life? or to kill, but they, they being the Pharisees, they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out immediately and held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to which all God's people said, thanks. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We love you, we love you, we love you. I thank you that your very presence, as we're gonna see tonight, is in this room. You are here with us. You're the God of miracles. You're a God who invites us to come to you with our needs, with our inabilities, with our lack of capacity, with our weakness, with our frailness, with our brokenness. And in its place, you give us wholeness. You give us healing. You give us strength. I pray tonight, Lord, that you would raise up faith in the lives of every man and every woman in this room. I pray that spiritually speaking, you would set our hearts on fire, that you would show us something about you tonight unlike anything we've ever seen before. Would you take what we have perceived to be mundane, monotonous, routine, and would you make it extraordinary? Would you make it everything to us this evening? We love you, we love you. Jesus, would you open our eyes? Would you give us ears to hear? Would you give us minds to understand? And would you give us hearts to believe? And if you're with me tonight, can you say amen? amen. There's four simple, simple and blatant things that I wanna show you in this text this evening. Here's the thing about the gospel, especially if you're new to church. I think there's like this mis misinterpreted idea that like in order to walk with Jesus, you gotta know a lot of things. Like you gotta know a lot. I mean, like you look at the Bible, 
you look at like this massive book that like we read and it's like, man, that is a lot of knowledge. And, and you're looking at the world right now and your generation is growing up in the most information saturated time of all time. You have everything at the, at the tip of your fingers and you can, you can pull up the internet on your iPhone and you can see 8,000 different theological opinions about the Bible and about interpretations of scripture. And the bottom line is that can be really overwhelming and almost extremely discouraging where you go, no, I'm gonna leave that to the spiritually elite. And we have this mindset where it's like in order to walk with Jesus, we need to know a lot of things. And I'm gonna hear to tell you this evening that's not the case. Mark gets after that in this chapter where you do not need to know a lot of things, but hear me, you need to be convinced of a few things. You need to be convinced of a few things. And that is all it takes to live a life full and satisfied with Jesus. There are four simple things that I want you to just like take notice of in this passage as we read it. We read it and it's like, okay, here's the context. Jesus walks into a synagogue. In this synagogue, you have the Pharisees. They're doing the reading of scripture and they look at Jesus as he walks in. He's got his disciples with him and there's a man sitting in the temple on the Sabbath with a withered hand. A withered hand meaning this, that hand is lifeless. He cannot move this hand. It is withered, it is died, it is, it is incapacitated. It cannot do anything. He might be able to move his arm. He can't move his hand. And he looks at this man with a withered hand and he looks at the Pharisees and he sees the Pharisees looking at him and they are wondering, what is he about to do? Is he about to break Sabbath law by healing this man? And in the midst of the assembly, he looks at the man and he says, come here. Can you imagine this moment for this man getting up, walking to Jesus in the middle of the assembly and Jesus turns and he looks at the Pharisees and he says, is it right to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill it on the Sabbath? And the Pharisees, the religiously elite, supposedly like the leaders of the people of God at the time, sat there quiet. They didn't say a thing. They were just ready, ready to be critical about whatever Jesus was going to do. Never mind the fact that Jesus says, Son, stretch out your hand. Stretches out his hand and is healed. And, like, like I, it's so hard to fathom this. Instead of like the leaders of the people of God standing there and being awestruck, instead of them being dumbfounded, they were filled with rage, so upset that this guy, this different authority would come in and violate their status quo. So much so that this is one of those passages that when like you ask yourselves like, why is it that Jesus was crucified? Like, why is it that like he was put on trial? Why is it that like Jesus was hated so much by people that like it got him killed? It's these passages right here. It's like these, these people right here, like so convinced that this guy is here to ruin their life that they'll do everything to ruin his. And so there's four things that I want you to take notice of from this passage. Number one, the man with the withered hand. It's pretty simple, isn't it? It's like, yeah, this is like the miracle that's done. No, no, like I, I want you to pause. I don't want you to rush. A man with a withered hand is standing in the synagogue. We don't know much about this man except for the fact that his hand is withered. So this is what we can infer. That this man's ability to practice his craft and provide for his family has been taken from him 
because he cannot work with his hand. That this man is likely a beggar. That this man is likely poor. That this man has, does not have the ability to earn for his bread, so he has to beg for his bread. We have this man, a man who, I mean, we're reading like the book of life. We are reading the greatest text of all time. Like this man has no business being in this text. Like there's nothing about him that's unique, that's special. Pay attention. Nothing about him that's unique, that's special. Enter the son of God. Enter God himself, Jesus. Walks in and he sees this man. And he takes notice of him. He takes notice of him. This is the first reason why this begins to unsettle the Pharisees. If this man was really a man of God, like doesn't it make sense that God's attention would be like on the leaders? Like wouldn't it make sense that like Jesus walks into the room and like gives his attention to like the people who deserve his attention, who have earned his attention? But that's not the case here. Jesus walks in, hear me, and he looks for the one in need. He looks for the one in need. I need you to hear me if you have ears to hear. Jesus is not looking for you to have your life put together. Do you hear me? That's not the gospel. The gospel is not a bunch of young men and young women who, who are really, really good at just keeping it together and like doing life right and coasting through life and making sure that they're like checking that box and, and just kind of making sure that they're not like hurting anybody too badly or, or, or they're, they're kind of reading their Bible or, or they kind of come to church like on that regular basis or, or they're kind of living like those moral lives. Like Jesus is uninterested in those type of people. Jesus did not come to save like those type of people. He came to save those in need. And I have a newsflash for every single person in this room. That's you and that's me. He came to save those in need. Like that's why as you read the gospels, like, like the religious leaders are so disgruntled by him not being with like the status quo people. He's not spending his time with like the wealthy and the elite. Like, like rewind just a chapter. Go back to Mark chapter two, starting in verse 15. Can we put this on the screen? Like Jesus is sitting down and he's eating with who? Tax collectors and sinners. Like, like he's eating with people who have robbed the Jewish nation like of their livelihood. He's eating with thieves. He's eating with people who have no business being in the synagogues. And what's the Pharisees' response? Like, look here. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them what? Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came to call the righteousness. I came to call the righteous sinners like like he came to call those in need so i have good news for you here this evening if you're in need and here's the thing no one might know that you're in need except you no one in this room might not know what is going on inside and and here's the thing like 
Like this man with the withered hand, we don't know why he was there on this day. Here's what we do know. He was likely not there to get healed. Why? Because it's the Sabbath. He has an understanding that this is not a day he could come in and ask for healing for his hand. He's just simply coming. Maybe, maybe he's just showing up because he enjoys hearing the, the, the reading of scripture. Maybe he's just showing up because this is kind of like a convenient, safe place to go where nobody hates on him. Like we don't know why, but I can tell you this, he was not expecting to have his hand healed on this day. He was not expecting to have his life put back together on this day. Enter the son of God which is the second thing that I want you to notice in this text is Jesus. Jesus. Don't rush past this. Jesus walks into the synagogue. You know what that means? Like, let me translate for you. The all-powerful, all-knowing, sovereign, good, faithful, omniscient, omnipotent, God walked into the synagogue that day. And the all-knowing, omniscient, omnipotent, sovereign, good, faithful, creating God locked eyes with a nobody. He locked eyes with a nobody. He locked eyes with one who is in need. Not the ones who were okay, the one who was in need. This is our God, the God who gets off his heavenly throne and he comes down to earth, not to find those who have their lives put together, but to find those who are weak, to find those who are incapable, to find those who are broken, to find those who are anxious, to find those who are depressed, to find those who are in addiction, to find those who are lonely, to find those who are isolated, to find those who are mentally ill, to find those who are sexually broken, to find those who are hurting, to find those who have no relationships that are giving them life, to find those who are insecure in their bodies, to find those who have the darkest of dark of dark thoughts, to find those who have lost friends, to find those who are hurting like this God. He comes to lock eyes with us, with us. And here's the thing, this is the, the skeptic and the cynical person's response. Well, that's easy to say for the man with the withered hand, pastor, but Jesus is not here right now. He's not with me right now. He's not physically in this room right now. He's not, he's not speaking to me, come here, like he does with the man with the withered hand. He's not doing that with me right now. And I need you to hear the good news. Yes, he is. You see, when, when Jesus rose from the dead and he came to be with his disciples before he ascended, he gave his disciples this commission. Matthew 28, he says, what I want you to do is I want you to go preach the gospel, I want you to go preach the good news of me to the world. Go make disciples of all nations, teaching them, teaching them my good news in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then I want you to see what he, he says at the end of this commission. Verse 28, 
or ver, uh, chapter 28, verse 20, and he says, and behold, everyone say behold. If, if like I could translate, it would be like Jesus looking at his disciples and going, look at me, look at me, look at me. I am with you always. I am with you always. You see, wherever the message of Jesus is preached, he is there. He is here. And the very like, like essence of you being in this room, in my opinion and in my prayer, is that God is making very, very plain at least one thing. He's tenaciously pursuing you and coming after you. Like you. I'm not talking about the person next to you. I'm not talking about the person in front of you. I'm not talking about the person sitting on the ground. Like I'm talking about you. Like he has come to be with you. And so I get a sense this evening that there might be some of you in here who came in this evening just like the man with the withered hand where it's like you were just coming because like this is what you do. This is just something that's a part of your life. And my prayer and my hope is that you would be able to see and savor this evening that God doesn't want this to be something in your life. He wants this to be everything. And by this, I'm not talking about church. I'm not talking about new life. I'm not talking about this room. I'm not talking about summer search. Like I'm talking about God himself being everything to you. Everything to you. Third thing that I want you to notice in this text is the command. So we have this man with a withered hand. We have Jesus entering in. And Jesus issues this command. Stretch out your hand. I want you to pause and look at those four words. Stretch out your hand. I want you to notice that Jesus doesn't say, doesn't command him to do. He doesn't go, hey, I want you to take your good hand and I want you to rub your bad hand with it. Notice that he doesn't say, I want you to stretch out your arm. Notice that he doesn't say, hey, I want you to take your ailment. I want you to take your brokenness and I want you to go present it to the priests for them to pray for you. He doesn't say that. You know why he doesn't say any of those things? because the guy was capable of doing all those things. Now we don't know anything about his arm. His arm might be good, it might be completely, completely fine, it could be paralyzed, we don't know. What we do know is one thing about this man, his hand is withered, which means his hand is lifeless. It can't move, it's functionless. He doesn't have the ability to stretch out his hand. Are you with me? I need you to take note of this. Don't rush past it. God asked, Jesus asked this man to do something that was impossible for him. He says, stretch out your hand. I mean, think about like what could have been taking place in this moment. Like, like the man could have gone, I can't. I can't. 
Like, don't, like, like if, if I could stretch out my hand, Jesus, if I had the ability to stretch out my hand, then I wouldn't have a withered hand. Like, I wouldn't have a withered hand. His command to this poor, needy man was to do something that was impossible for this man. I need you to hear me. The gospel's command and invitation is something that is impossible for every person in this room to do on their own. Let me give you like a, like a confusing, puzzling statement of truth. You cannot believe in God without God making it possible for you to believe in him. Are you with me? Let me say that again. You cannot believe in God without God making it possible for you to believe in him. Like, like let, me, let me help you follow a line of logic. Yours and my sin nature want nothing to do with God. This is why Paul in Ephesians 2 says we were dead. Like we were dead in our trespasses. We had no life in us. There is nothing in us that's like wanting to breathe. There's nothing like in us that's wanting to like desire God. Like it's impossible for us to believe in God except the fact that God sent his son. This is why Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. God's command to you and to me Stated in Acts 16 when, when Paul and Silas are talking to the jailer and he says, what do I have to do to be saved? And he says this, can we put Acts 16 up on the screen? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. The command to the man with the withered hand, stretch out your hand, the command to us this evening, believe in Jesus. But this is the part that I want you to catch. The man with the withered hand, God himself, the command from God, but the fourth simple thing, can I get the band to come back up, is the man's obedience. What does God require of us? What does it take to follow Jesus? Like, like the gospel is all awesome when it's like gift and grace and all this stuff, but then when we start talking about obedience, this is where this is where that verse makes sense, where it says broad is the road that like leads to destruction, but narrow is the gate for those who are going to find life. Like, let me kick you an illustration. Let me kick you an illustration. Because I know that mostly, not completely, but mostly we have church kids in here. You grew up in church. You might've been around New Life for a while. I've been around here for seven years. I've seen most of you since you were in fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. Like, you've been around for a while. Let me kick you an illustration. Let's say you have an ailment, okay? Let's say you have, you have some disease, some pain that's being caused in your body. And you go to the doctor, and the doctor says, I got good news for you. We have a, a perfect, like perfect, healthy, it won't do, there's no side effects. There's no just kind of like a perfect medication to heal your ailment. And we have it for you. Here it is. And he hands it to you. And he says, I want you to go home and I want you to take one pill a day for one week. Come back 
your ailment will be cured. You go home, you take that bottle of pills, and you say, that's awesome. You set it on the counter. And instead of taking the pills, you choose to take Epsom salt baths. You decide to sniff essential oils for seven days. <laughs> that lavender and peppermint, oh, smells so good, right? You decide to drink herbal tea. You decide to go get a, a massage every day. Feels amazing, right? Like you, you decide to like exercise and you decide to like eat healthy. And you do everything except what the doctor prescribed. And you come back in a week and your pain is still there. The illness has not gone away. In fact, it's gotten worse. And you're sitting there before the doctor going, I took Epsom salt baths. It had eucalyptus in it. I ate gluten-free for a week. I gave up all the good things in life. All my people who didn't have buns tonight, you know who I'm talking about, right? Like, like in you're, you're puzzled. And the doctor looks at you. The doctor looks at you and he goes, did you take the medication I gave you? Did you take the medication I gave you? And you sit there and you go, no. The physician's looking at you like, This is how we walk in our faith far too often. I'm going, I got this, I got this gaping hole inside me. Like this thing that can't be satisfied and like I can't, I can't get away from it. This ache that exists in here, this, this need. A need like, like, like maybe a withered hand, a need like you're in a storm and you can't see, a need like you may be blind, a need like, like you're hungry and you need something to eat, a need like, like you can't breathe and you need oxygen in your lungs, like, like you have this need. And so you think like, okay, what's the cure? Like God, God help me. Like what do I need? What do I need for this, like, this to be satisfied? And his command, his prescription is simple. Believe in me. Believe in me. And you go, oh, I read my Bible five times a week. I memorized Psalm 23. I'll start Bible study. I'll start, stop cussing out my sister. I'll stop doing inappropriate things in my relationship. I'll stop looking at that thing on the internet. You come back after a week, after a month, after five years, four years, 10 years, and that hole is still there, that need, is still there, 
that brokenness is still there. It's like you come back. And this is the invitation tonight, brothers and sisters, where we can go, God, I just want to be satisfied. I don't want to look to that addiction anymore. I don't want to be alone in this depression anymore. I don't want to be alone in this insecurity anymore. I have a need. I don't want to have to deal with my family anymore. I, like, I, I'm, I'm anxious every day that I get up and every day that I put my head down. God, what, what's the answer to my brokenness? And the invitation of the gospel, brothers and sisters, is really simple. The only thing that takes Jesus from being something in your life to everything in your life is believing in him. Believe in him. And you go, that's great. That's great. It's like so simple, pastor. If I could just believe, but like I have a problem with that. I have good news for you. All of us do. We all have a problem with this. Like we wrestle with it. You know why? Because we can't do it on our own. We don't have the ability to do it on our own. This is why the father looking at Jesus later in Mark, we're gonna talk about this in three weeks, says, I believe, dear God, help me with my unbelief. You know, it's okay to say that prayer to God, that prayer to God in all sincerity. <laughs> is the beginning of faith. Will you stand with me? Scott, can you bring the lights down? Oh, I know we're late, but it's my first week back. You're gonna have to deal with it for one week. I want my leaders to come up. I can't move on from tonight without doing this, I'm sorry. I wanna ask you this summer to be bold. I wanna ask you this summer, I wanna ask you tonight, I wanna ask you tonight to like take a look at your desperation and get real with it. I wanna ask you tonight to dare like to dare to put your hope in God, but for a moment. I know there are like physical ailments in this room right now. My man who was like over here, he hurt his ankle. He wasn't able to play horse night rider. He, are you still sitting over here? Raise your hand. Yeah, right there, yeah. Physical ailments in this room. I have a God, I know a God who has the ability to heal stuff like that. Like, isn't that wild? That's wild. Like, he has the ability to heal stuff like that. And I believe with all my heart, like, like we're a people where our God says, hey, we don't have to be afraid of saying, hey, I have something that's in pain and I need prayer and I need healing. You know what like scripture invites us to do? He says, look, like those who are hurting, like those who are sick, come forward, get prayer. Like, put your faith in God. And here's the thing, like that subtle voice like kind of comes in and goes like, like you don't know if you're gonna get healed or you've tried this before and like, like 
It's not worked. It's not going to happen. That's not the point. Do you, do you realize that? That's not the point. Like the beauty in our healing is not that God takes care of the ailment. It's that like God gives himself and he gives himself every time that we come to him. Are you with me? That's the invitation of like what we do as the people of God. And so this is what I want you to do. I wanna pray for healing tonight. I wanna pray for healing. Like if you have something that like needs to be healed, I want you to be prayed for. I want you to be prayed for. If you're here tonight and you're going, there is something that is like tugging on my heart and my soul and I don't know what to do with this, like, but I have a longing. Like I have this longing to get to Jesus. Like I just wanna get to him. Like all of the things that I'm dealing with, like all my addictions, all the, all the excuses, all the reasons for like why I haven't wanted to like go running after him before. Like, like for some reason, all of those kind of seem to like matter less and less and less and less. And right now you're having a moment where you just wanna run. You just wanna get to him. You're like you wanna peel through this room. You wanna push back the layers. You're like, I just want God, like I want to give my life to him. I want to submit my life to him. Like I want to, I want to believe in him. You're like having a moment like the man with the withered hand had where God is locking eyes with you. Like that's the work of the spirit. And I want you to be prayed for tonight. I want you to be stood alongside tonight. So this is what we're going to do. I want you to spread out a little bit. Spread out, get a little bit of space. Get a little bit of space. Scotty, can we bring down the lights a little bit lower? A little bit lower. Hang in with me for just a little bit of time. If your parents are here and they're waiting for you, just text, text them and say like, God's doing something, give me a minute. And here's the thing, we're just, we're gonna, we're gonna worship right now. Like this is what we do. When we, when we pray for healing, like when you come forward for healing, when you're having a moment, like the, we just worship, we worship together, okay? And so what we're gonna do is we're just gonna continue in worship here. And if you need prayer for anything, I want you to come forward. I want you to come forward and I want you to, to pray. I want you to have someone lay their hands on you and pray for you. I don't care if it's for sickness. I don't care for, if it's for an ankle. I don't care if it's for your family. I don't care for it's your mind, like, we're gonna pray. We're gonna pray. Why? Because he's a God of miracles. He's a God of miracles. And when we as the people of God can testify about the things our God does, like Mark is doing, the world has to look on and just be in awe and wonder. So that being said, bow your heads. Lord, we love you. We worship you, we need you, we need you. There's not a single person in this room that that statement is not true about. We need you. So Lord, I pray that your spirit would come upon us. I pray that you would come and you would speak. I pray that you would come and that you would heal. That you would heal. 
I get a sense there's somebody in here who's got some like really tough stomach pain and you've wrestled for it for a really long time. And I just need you to hear me say, God sees you. God sees you. He sees you and his invitation is the same two words he said to the man with the withered hand, come here, come here, let me take care of you. So Father, I pray that you would let faith rise in this room. Let faith rise in this room. Let faith rise in this room. Give us boldness. Let us dare to step out and come running after you the same way that you are running after us. Brothers and sisters, if you want prayer, go ahead and come forward. Let's go ahead and continue to worship. Thanks again for listening to this message from New Life Student Ministries. If you want to keep up with what's happening with us, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at NL Student Ministries.